Today we're starting off a new uh, series for the next several weeks called Rethink Discipleship. And so we're going to be rethinking what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus these next few weeks. We're going to talk about not only rethinking discipleship, but what it means to repeat the gospel, what it means to reproduce other disciples, what it means to re-pray over and over again unceasingly, and what it looks like to relearn how to love. And so we'll be focusing on that the several weeks in this series on Rethink Discipleship. Today we're just going to talk about discipleship in general and rethink about what we have some thoughts about that. As we get into that, I was thinking uh, one of the things that's happening rapidly right now is knowledge. Our accumulation of knowledge and information is growing at an exponential rate here in our society. And you can go to a chart that was actually created by Buckminster Fuller back in the 1980s, and he brought up this chart of how knowledge is doubling and the doubling curve of knowledge. And so in 1900, knowledge doubled every 100 years. And then by 1945, it was doubling every 25 years. And then in 1982, when the chart was created, uh, knowledge was doubling every 12 to 13 months. And then by 2020, IBM predicted that knowledge would double every 12 hours. And we're in 2021, so we've passed that exponential tipping point, as, as one would say. Uh, Eric Schmidt, who's the CEO of Google, shared that there were five exabytes of information from the dawn of civilization to 2003. So think about that. The dawn of civilization, all of human history to 2003, five exabytes of information. He said that since then, right, since then, now that same amount of information is created every two days. So think about it. All that history is now being generated in two days. And so you can see how exponentially uh, information is growing. Now our brains, our human brains, actually can process several billion petabytes of information. The internet contains five million terabytes of information, which is a, seems like a lot of information. Google, a, a well-known search engine for the, for the internet, has indexed 200 terabytes of the 5 million terabytes of information out there. So think about that. That represents about 0.004% of what's, on the, what's out there in the World Wide Web. So you thought the Internet had all the answers. Well, it only has 0.004% of all the answers uh, based on all that information. So there, and this is happening all the time. Accumulation of knowledge and facts are happening all the time. Now, part of that is, is realizing that not all the facts and all the information, all the knowledge is still useful today, right? It has a, what they, some people call a half-life. So a little bit about that is that 10 years ago, knowledge, the knowledge base had a half-life. It would mean, meant it was useful for about 12 months. Today, the information that we're accumulating is useful for about six months. Because facts and knowledge and information are always evolving, so to speak. In fact, we can look back at some of the facts that we thought were we would have stood by. We would have said, follow the science. Well, remember, the science... Uh, had medical doctors prescribing cigarettes for people at one point in time. That would have been a valid uh, prescription and medical advice for somebody. We talked about before the, this idea that Pluto used to be a planet, right? At one point, it was a cold, hard fact. We would have said Pluto's a planet. Now it's an exoplanet. And then also you think about uh, the time even further back when the, everybody 
knew as a fact, would assert as a fact that the earth was flat. Some people are still trying to bring that one back. But anyway, you, we know that's not to be true. So facts, science is constantly also evolving over time as we accumulate more knowledge. And then also all the knowledge that we're accumulating is not always useful or helpful or of good value and quality. My, the question I want to raise, though, in this world of all this information and all these different voices and all these different things that are going on in our world, who are we listening to? Who are we paying attention to? And do we believe that Jesus is knowledgeable? So here's a good question. Do we respect Jesus as knowledgeable? Do we, in our society that so highly values knowledge and the accumulation of information, do we see Jesus as someone who is knowledgeable and has something for us? Or are we seeing uh, Jesus as just some ancient guru, so to speak, who had some good things to teach us that is no longer useful? Have we given Jesus a half-life in our life? Have we not given our whole life to following Jesus, but maybe just a half-life to Jesus because we don't see Jesus as useful or knowledgeable? We don't value Jesus the way we value some other things in life. Let's go back to the Scripture. Let's turn to the Scriptures, though, and turn to Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Here's what Colossians says about Jesus. Paul's writing, he says, My goal is that their hearts would be encouraged and united together in love so that they might have all the riches of assurance that come with understanding, so they might have the knowledge of the secret plan of God, namely Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Now, what led Paul to say that? Well, Paul and the Bible teach us that Jesus is from God in human flesh, but Jesus is a part of what we would call the Godhead or the divine. And so if you think about it that way, Jesus not only became human, but now Jesus has returned and sits at the right hand of God. So in that, from that perspective, from the divine perspective, Jesus is the creator and sustainer of all knowledge. So all the knowledge we're accumulating, Jesus is over all that and sustaining all that. In fact, you could even make the theological leap to say Jesus is the sustainer of science, right? That he is the one that is sustaining our ability to practice science and rational thought and discover things about our universe because the universe still exists. We still have life. And our ability to do that is because Jesus is the one who holds all knowledge and all wisdom that is sustaining all of our accumulation of knowledge. It's a little bit different perspective to try and get our heads around that. But part of that is to say that Jesus is worthy of our respect. Jesus is worthy of us pursuing him above all else and making him the primary voice to follow in our life. Among all the other voices in our life right now, think about all the opinions, all the things we're being told, this information, that information, you know, th do this, don't do this, all those different opinions and voices that say they're based on facts or science or whatever that is, right? Think about that. Think about have we given Jesus that same level of value and respect because that will determine whether we follow him with a half heart or with a whole heart, whether we'll make Jesus the primary voice of our life or not the primary voice of our life. It's important for us to understand that. Because Jesus actually said something very, uh, very good and very uplifting to us. He said in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 30, he said, Come to me, 
all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads. Think about heavy loads of information and knowledge, right? And I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I am gentle and humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. I want to key in on this word learn here. Look at that word learn. Learn from me. A disciple is someone who learns from Jesus. You know in the Bible, the Bible uses the word disciple 269 times. It uses the word Christian three times, and that is in the context of making the distinction between a Jewish follower of Jesus and a Jewish who, person who did not follow Jesus. That's why that, cat, that label was created. But all, the, disciple, the Bible talks about being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, a learner from a master or teacher like Jesus. And so that's what it means to be a disciple. So a disciple, as we heard about actually in that text, actually means to learn from experience, not just simply a knowledge or learning information, but think about not just memorizing Bible verses, as important as that is, but it's about how do I experience it? How do I apply it? And how do I apply these learnings into my daily life and into my interaction with other people? That's what a disciple is. Dallas Willard, uh, if you haven't, aren't familiar with Dallas Willard, I would encourage you to read his book, Divine Conspiracy. This quote I'm going to share with you comes out of another book called The Great Omission. And he defines discipleship this way. He says, primarily, it meant to go with him. He's talking about Jesus. To go with him in an attitude of observation, study, obedience, and imitation, right? And so how will we be obedient, right, and listen to and learn from and imitate Jesus in a world that's filled with so many other imitators or so many other people that want us to imitate them, right? And so that's part of what it means to be a disciple, to say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you and make you the primary voice that I listen to among all the other voices in my life. That would be discipleship. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about what that discipleship looks like. How do you get to that uh, place where you're uh, following Jesus? And so we're going to introduce something called the discipleship triangle. Actually modified this from some of the things that Dallas Willard talked about. Dallas Willard talks about the golden triangle in some different ways. But this we'll just call the discipleship triangle. And it starts out with the first side of the triangle called being. We need to be with Jesus. Just like any other relationship in our life, we need to spend time with the person we're going to learn from, where we want to gain uh, from and observe and imitate. So we have to be with Jesus. We have to learn from Jesus. We have, that means we have to spend time with Jesus. Now, you and I can't physically do that today. Jesus has, uh, has, has left the planet, so to speak, but his presence, his Holy Spirit is still with us. And so we spend time in spiritual disciplines to be present, to uh, help Jesus be present to us. So we read our Bibles, we pray, we spend time talking to Jesus, to God. We uh, practice fasting or solitude or silence or giving, or we go out and serve in the world. We wash people's feet, so to speak, metaphorically, and we serve other people like Jesus did. And as we're doing that, we're being with Jesus. We're being in relationship with Jesus. And so that's where we learn as we study the Word we study what Jesus taught, study how Jesus acted, and we be, be, we're being with Jesus. 
Now, the second part of the triangle is the, the next uh, side of the triangle is thinking. So not only do we need to learn from Jesus and be with Jesus and be in the presence of Jesus, we also have to then, as we're in the presence of Jesus and learning from Jesus, we have to actually reshape our thinking about the world and about others and about how we're responding in the world around us because our thinking influences our behavior. No matter whether we're realizing it or not, most of our behavior is based on how we think because our thoughts lead to actions. And so we have to think about what did Jesus think about? How did Jesus think, right? And Jesus often challenged us to think differently. Uh, Romans chapter 2 encourages us to renew our minds, right? To not listen to the thinking of the culture and society around us, but to listen to God and renew our minds and listen and think like Jesus. And so that's an important aspect of discipleship because not only before we change behaviors, and even when we change behaviors, we also have to be open to changing our thinking about those behaviors. That's a part of it. Think about how hard it is to do what Jesus taught about loving your enemies. To love an enemy would require us to change our thinking about our enemy. We actually have to modify the way we think about our enemies. Uh, Because if I just think about them as an enemy, I typically, my enemies are people I don't want to be around, typically people I don't want in my life, people typically that we are bitter towards or resentful towards or want to avoid at all costs, or we want to get rid of them altogether out of our lives, right? So think about that. To love our enemies means to change that thinking. We have to think differently about our enemies. And Jesus says to love our enemies will require us to modify and to change the way we think about them because then we'll be able to actively love them in a different way but we have to deal with the thinking part as well, and we have to wrestle with that. And then the third side of the triangle is obviously doing. That's acting with Jesus, not acting like Jesus under our own power or acting like Jesus and trying to figure it out ourselves, but we act with Jesus. We go with Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 20, all authority has been given to him. So when we're sent as disciples into the world to act and to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world, we're sent with the, with the authority of Jesus. We don't have the authority. We go with the authority of Jesus, and we go with Jesus' presence in our lives, and we go and act differently, hopefully, or act the way we're thinking and being with Jesus. So this is all emerging as to shaping how we behave and love others in our life and love God in our lives, right? So this is important. Those are the being, the thinking, and the doing with Jesus. Now, there's one other aspect that's not on the slide here, but it's very important for us to think about, and that is we also have to reflect. This is where the experiential learning comes into place. So when we go act with Jesus, we have to go back and spend some time with Jesus, go back to being, and reflect with Jesus how did we do, right? How did that go? Because that's part of experiential learning is actually reflecting upon behaviors, upon relationships, upon how we interacted in the world around us and spend time with Jesus. One, knowing Jesus is still with us. Jesus is still hasn't given up on us. Jesus still loves us, even if we didn't get it right or do it exactly the way Jesus would do it, right? We've got some grace to come into our lives, some love that Jesus doesn't give up on us. But there are times where Jesus might say, hey, you know, we could have done this differently together, right? We could have acted differently. We could have responded differently in that situation. Or sometimes it might be just like the disciples came back 
one time after going out and doing ministry, they come back and they celebrate everything that God was doing. They celebrate what was happening and how they, they did something that was helping other people. And so I was thinking about this idea, and it really come, uh, one example I would give is actually going back to coaching. Uh, when uh, my daughters were in middle school, uh, Rachel and Lauren played basketball, and they were a part of a team, and the coach of the team, her name was Cheryl, she played for the University of Maryland, she was a, a woman's basketball player at the college, uh, and so she knew the game, she had experience playing the game of basketball. And what I loved to see was that these young women would listen to her, right? And when it came to the, the game of basketball, they knew she knew how to play the game. And so they would listen to her and they valued her advice. They valued her coaching because they saw her as someone who knew how to play the game. We as disciples see Jesus as someone who knows how to play the game of life, who, someone who knows how to live life and God became human, became flesh, and lived among us. And so that's why we value discipleship here in our church. And so we believe that Jesus is worth listening to, and when Jesus tells us to do something, we're obedient to it because Jesus knows what he's talking about, just like Cheryl knew what she was talking about as a basketball coach. And so they would listen to her. Now, my role on the team was I was the assistant coach, which meant keeping Cheryl out of trouble sometimes because she would get into heated with the referee's calls and things. And I was like, all right, stay in the coach's box, Cheryl, you know, calm down and everything. And so, but the other, most of my job was when a, 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 a young woman, middle school girl came off the court, I would sit down next to her on the bench and we would talk about what went well after, when you were in the game. And sometimes we were high-fiving and celebrating a great shot that they took or celebrating and encouraging some great defense they had. And then other times they were coming off and they were frustrated and things weren't going well. And we sit down and we talk about, okay, what can you do differently the next time you get in the game? Try this out. Move this way. Try and position yourself differently. Remember the skills that we've taught you, right? And put those things into practice. And so what we would do is we would coach them. We would reflect with them on what went well and what didn't go well. So the next time they got back on the court, they were ready to play the game. And that's what I think happens in this, this, this reflection that we're talking about. Also, I found that sometimes what was happening in that coaching moment was they were coming off the, the court and they were upset or they were hurt. Another girl on the court called them a name or said something to them or cursed at them or something or got mad at them or frustrated. And so part of what we were doing was actually coaching emotions and in that coaching of emotions, we were talking about basically this idea of don't let them dictate how you respond to the world around you, to the game. You play your game. You get back in there and play how we've taught you to play. Forget about how that, those other people are playing the game. You worry about how you're playing the game. And I think about that in terms of a disciple. We need to stop worrying about how everybody else is playing the discipleship game, and we need to focus on our discipleship, how we're playing the game, and how Jesus is calling us to be a disciple, and focus on that, and stay focused on that. And that may actually mean that when we come back to Jesus, we come back to Jesus with our frustrations, with our anger. That's the time to bring those before Jesus and bring those before God and be honest with God about those emotions that we're having so that we can work with Jesus to give us back that heart that God wants us to have. And so we need to wrestle with those things as well. So let Jesus 
be your discipleship coach, so to speak. Let Jesus be the one who coaches you. Now, I want to just give a word um, to the church and say that the church, being a part of a church, sitting in worship, or even being online here today, does not make one a disciple. A disciple is not one who just sits on the sidelines and gathers information and accumulates knowledge, right? That's not what a discipleship is. Discipleship is taking what we learn and putting it into practice in real life, in real relationships, in other places in our life, in our neighborhoods, in our communities. That's where discipleship happens. So just because a person comes to church and gains information and learns about the Bible, which is a great thing, it's a part of discipleship, doesn't make somebody a disciple. So I want you to think about that. As we talked a little bit early on, are you a, do you consider yourself a Christian or do you consider yourself a disciple? Because they're different, right? A Christian is a label. Maybe we're a church member or a member of a church, and we say, hey, that's who I am. That's my identity. But a disciple is actively following Jesus, putting into practice the things that Jesus has taught. So that's where we need to rethink discipleship. Discipleship is not simply making converts and church members. We're actually to make disciples, Jesus said. And the bedrock of the church is on discipleship. Jesus said to Peter, upon you, Peter, the disciple, I will build my church. The church is built on discipleship, not membership. The church is built on people deciding to follow Jesus, not just simply being converted to Jesus. That's different. Conversion, again, is a part of it. But notice that even in the process of becoming a follower of Jesus, there's something that happens called repentance. Repentance is where we decide, (laughs) make a decision, right, to make a U-turn back to God, to reorient our lives to Jesus and following Jesus away from the other voices or the other ways or the other worldviews that we, are being, we hear about and being taught about in the church, in the academy, in the world, wherever it is. If those things don't line up with the voice of Jesus, we need to compare the voice of Jesus to those other voices and teachings and say, I'm going to follow Jesus and make Jesus the primary voice of my life, and I'm going to listen to Jesus above all the other voices. So in a sense, I have to repent to do that, right? So it's not simply my conversion. I may believe, I may receive the gift of grace, and that's part of conversion, but at some point I have to actually repent, and I have to, make, uh, I have to begin to say, I'm going to be obedient to following Jesus. That's a decision and a desire, So there's a desire to follow Jesus because we believe Jesus is the best thing for us, and there's a decision to follow Jesus, a desire and a decision. And I want to leave you with a question, and here's the question. Do you have a desire, and have you made a decision to follow Jesus? Do you have a desire? Have you made a decision? I hope so. Because the best thing, the easiest thing, the yoke that is easy and the burden that is light is making the decision and having the desire to follow Jesus today. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you have given us the gift of Jesus, who not only taught us and showed us the way of life, but also gave his life for us on a cross. And we, that cross is a, is a crossroads for us.
It reminds us that we are to turn to him, to lift him up in our lives, to make him the central leader, the primary voice in our lives. And Lord, some of us have experienced some conversion. We've experienced your grace. We've accepted your forgiveness for our sins, but we haven't really made a decision to follow Jesus above all else. We haven't really said, Jesus, you're going to be number one leader of my life. And Lord, we desire that. There's a desire within us that's bubbling up in some of us right now to do that. And I pray for those desires right now that they would become decisions to follow Jesus. And Lord, that you would empower them and strengthen them to make that decision firm and make it clear in their lives to follow you, Jesus. And Lord, we're thankful for two. Some of us are just needing to renew that decision today. Some of us need to remind ourselves of that decision we made some time ago or we're making for the 50th time today. We're constantly coming back to you and saying, Jesus, I need to put you back at the center of my life. I need to put you back in charge of my life. I need to listen to you again and be obedient to you again. So Lord, would you pour out your Holy Spirit on your people, on your disciples, on your followers, and just help us to relearn what it means to look and to live like you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.